I'm Darren Garrahy, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to a moment where they had the last laugh. It's, it's things have happened in my life, and in its own very sad way, I've been darn lucky. Do you know what I mean? I mean, some people never get satisfaction, do they? I know, I know, they're, so constantly, seen... they're constantly chasing contentment or, you know, oh, a yeah. high or... You can't touch me, I've got a few bob and I'm famous, so, you know, and it, it's, I'm not saying it in a I'm saying it because it's true. Yeah. You, you've got to leave me alone, you've got to leave me in peace, I rather like that. Reality TV icon, Kim Woodburn, is my first guest this season. She tells me about her rocky childhood memories, how she bounced back from a divorce that left her with one penny in her bank account, and how she's often misunderstood, but will never suffer fools. From big laughs to big wins, this season of the Laughs of Your Life podcast is brought to you by TK Maxx. I am all about that winning feeling, and nothing beats that yes moment when you nab ridiculously good quality for less at TK Maxx. Whether it's the perfect floaty summer dress, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know I love a good shift dress, or designer sliders for the pool. Nothing beats that feeling, which is why I am so delighted that my pals at TK Maxx are sponsoring this season. It means I don't just have my friends to tell all about the gems I pick up in store, I can tell you too. I'll keep you posted on my big designer wins throughout the season. Everyone can feel fabulous for less with big wins, small prices at TK Maxx. And now for my chat with Kim Woodburn. I hope you enjoy. Kim Woodburn, you are extremely welcome to the laughs of your life. Oh, I'm delighted. Thank you. You look fabulous today, can I say? Oh, thank you very much. A few needles here and there, you know. Oh, go on! Well, yeah, do you know, look, dear, I'm not going to turn around and say what all the people on television say that can't move their face. I've had nothing done. Oh, don't insult people's intelligence. Goodness sake. Well, I see, I haven't had anything done, but I do. I think I need to start for preventative measures. Well, you're a very beautiful girl. And remember, I'm 80 next birthday, you know. So the thing is, dear, you're a young girl. I'm 80 next March. I, you've got to have a lift when you're 80, unless, you know. So I've had a few here and a few here. I'm just going to scratch my, uh, my tummy button, dear. Hang on. It's <laughs> up here, dear. Yes, yes. <laughs> Well, I'm so delighted that you had the time to sit down with me today, Kim, and we could chat about the laughs of your life. Shall we start with our first question? Yes, please, my love. Okay, Kim Woodburn, your first memory of laughter. Well, um, well, I was a little girl. Oh, this this was, I was about five or six. And my auntie Teresa, my mother's sister, came round to our house with a newborn baby. And I don't know why I thought this, but I always thought that moths laid mothballs. No, 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 no. Well, I was only five, dear. Yeah. And I thought that those big balls, and I used to think to myself, he must open up completely half his body and lay this ball. I didn't know you made them. So my Auntie Teresa came in with the baby in the shawl, and I could smell the mothballs, because in those days we put everything in mothballs. And I said to my Auntie Teresa, Auntie Teresa, how can a moth lay a ball that big? And my Auntie Teresa said, what do you mean? And I said, well, they, they lay, she my love, they don't lay them. She said, they make them, they're made in factories uh, that will, will deter moths, the smell. 
Well, I said, I thought they laid them. She, oh, no, no, how could they lay them? Do you know what, honestly? Um, I've got to say, I was very embarrassed, but really, it, it was funny, wasn't it? But I couldn't make out, no, I was only five. I thought the whole body just opened and this big ball dropped out. But apparently they were made in factories to deter moths. But I was only five, don't be wrong. <laughs> I was oh, come on. Stop it. Oh, look well, at her. See, my auntie laughed. Actually, I laughed. <laughs> I laughed. But a bit of knowledge, you say? Come on, my love. Tell me, tell me about your childhood and, and laughter in your childhood because I know you've been very open in the past about your childhood and maybe yes. moments that, that there weren't a whole lot of laughter there wasn't a whole lot of laughter I should say but talk to me about your childhood in general My childhood was very hard like a lot of people have very hard childhoods and do have today so I'm not suggesting it's only me um, my mother uh, married my, uh, my father and he was a royal marine and um, the marriage split up very quickly, it was during the war and she had my sister and I. And um, I think, honestly, that whatever she said, she said she hated my father, but I think he was the love of her life. My sister tends to think the same way. It was always, I hate him, I hate him. And I think the memories that she loved him very much, she was taking it out on me. Now, the funny part about it was, I rarely saw my father. He was another no good father. But when I saw my father after, oh, 40 or 50 years, I took Peter, my husband. And my husband said, oh, my God, you look like your father. So you see, obviously, but she I, she had no time for me at all. So my childhood was sad, like many were, not just me. Oh, no. And so I grew up a loner, really. I'm a loner to this day. Um, I, I suppose I believe the worst thing that can happen to a human being is to have rotten parents. Because I believe, from my own experience, if you've got a good mum and dad that love you and you love them, whatever age you are, you've got it made. Whatever happens in your life, um, they're there, come on home, my lovelies, come on. But I think if you don't grow up with good parents, oh, it's a hell of a life, you know. You've only got you and you're not grown up enough to, to cope. And so I, my biggest regret in my life um, is not having loving smashing parents because I think I, I'd have been a better person for it you need them my love and you know it's a funny thing um you never grow up you know now that sounds awfully silly at my age I'm going to blow my hooter dear excuse me I must blow a hooter dear I must <laughs> go for it go for it oh, 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 oh lovely but you see you never get over it ask anybody now I'm going to tell you what happens when I see, I mean, I'm 80 next birthday. When I see, as I go out and I see a mum and dad or a mum with a child or a dad, go, oh, I love you, I love you. Do you know it tugs at my heart at my age? And I think, oh, I never had that. You lucky little child, go on, give him a kiss. And I still think, and this is, I'm nearly 80, so um, you, don't, you don't get yourself miserable over it, not at this age, but you think, oh, because it's all around you. Oh, okay. Do you think we could talk about laughter in some form? Yes. Oh my. Well, you asked me. Well, dear, my. Of course, my. I'm lucky. I. Do you know what? I've grown up. I've got a lovely husband. I've got you know a nice home, and I. I got enjoy my television work. 
I've been jolly lucky. Thank you very much. Good. Okay. Well, my next question is, the first time you felt laughed at? <laughs> I felt laughed at? <laughs> well, this was funny. I'm, 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 I'm five foot ten, and people say of me, are you, are you been athletic? I said, oh, God, no, no. Uh, five foot ten, I'm athletic build, got sh- shoulders like Sonny Liston, the boxer, dear. Look at these shoulders, dear. I could take you out with one blow. <laughs> and people have always said, oh, I bet you exercise. I said, no, I don't. I, I exercise? Oh, don't. What? The only thing I do is pick up a heavy cup of coffee. I, I, and people that presume I exercise, they'll say to me now, you're quite fit. I said, no, I don't exercise. Well, what happened was when I was at school, there I was, the tallest girl in the class. And why do the PE teachers always think, because you're tall and, and, and you know, you're going to be great at PE? No. All the short girls used to hurdle, not this one. And this Miss I'll never forget this. This was hysterical. This Miss Parker, she had dark hair. She was about five, six. And she used to have the blue shorts on just above the knee and the loose top. And she was our PE teacher, you see, Miss Parker. And eventually she got married and she married a chap called, she was Mrs. Friend. And I thought, what, you're not very friendly, but she was Mrs. Friend. And on a Tuesday and a Thursday, I thought, oh, no, I'm going to get it two days every week. Oh, well, go on. And we'd stand in a line and she'd try every week. She was a trier. She'd say, Mackenzie. No, that was my last name. Mackenzie, we're not going to have this nonsense today, are we? I said, pardon. She said, you're going to exercise and climb up those ropes. I said, no, I'm not. She said, you are. She said, you are. She said, you're tall. She said, I'm trying to climb. Don't cheek me. Or you're going... well, she humiliated me terribly. So anyway, and, and then she turned around and said, and she had a bony knees. The b- bony knees. And she used to have one leg slightly bent in front of her and this big bony knee. And she'd look at me and she'd put her hand on her hip and she'd say, Mackenzie, I'm sick. Tired and weary of you every Tuesday and Thursday. Well, I said, I can't help that. I said, I'm, I don't do exercise. She said, shut up. And I'd stand in the line, humiliated, mocked. And all the kids would be going, <laughs> which you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. So this is every Tuesday and Thursday for years was my treat for the week. Well, now you're going to laugh. I wrote a book when I got famous. This is so funny. Go on. I wrote a book. And I put Miss Parker, I said, Miss Parker, I said, the, the whole story, the knobbly knees, and it tired and weary of you. She wrote to me. She was in her late 80s, and I was in my 60s. And she wrote to my agent, and she said, Pat, she called me. She said, dear Pat, so got, dear Pat, she said, yes, I'm Mrs. Friend, she said. Miss Parker, as was, she said. I'm well into my 80s now. And she said, I got your book because when it said the me on school and I knew I was a teacher there I had to bite shit and you know what she said I laughed my socks off she said was I really that bad she said she said um, mind you dear she said I'll tell you something I've still got knobbly knees <laughs> and you know no no honestly and it was lovely to receive it and, um, you know, but two days of torture she put me through and uh, I've still got lovely knees, dear. I thought it was manna from heaven. I laughed. I la- She humiliated me, but she made me laugh in the end. I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay, Kim Woodburn, um, the moment when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Well, I was married 
before I married Peter. I got married in 1971 to a chap called Kenneth Davis. And it was over very quickly. And you learn a lesson from sadness, don't you? You learn, your if you don't, you're a dope. And we opened a joint bank account and I left him to go and do it, you see. I, you know. Now, be warned, folks. Don't open a joint bank account with your husband, even if you utterly adore him. You don't do that, because I'll tell you what happened, you see. We split up. Now, because it was a joint account, he went down to the bank the morning he left me, and he drew every penny out of the joint account, but left me one penny. Now, the bank manager told him that, which I rang the bank manager, and he confirmed he had said it to him. He said, it is a joint account, he said. He said, but because it's joint, you're not closing it. You can leave one penny in, and that is still your wife's and yours joint account. So be friends, if you're listening to me, don't do it. So I had one penny to my name and a mortgage to pay, which he stopped. So I, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I felt I'd been made a fool of, I thought. And he he probably knew, but I didn't know. So, folks, please, it's not that I'm saying don't trust your husband, but on matters of money, love, you've got to live. And in a marriage, anything could happen in a marriage, my love, anything. Don't open a joint account that could be closed by leaving it open with one penny. Because if you've got, say, 30 or 40 grand in, He's got the lot, dear, or she's got the lot. Sensible. Work it out, my loves. That's my lesson for you. What did you do? What did you do from from that point then when you had the, as you say? Well, I was very sad, of course. I didn't want the divorce. And um, uh, so I couldn't work. My nerves were shattered. And so I was paid £10 a week, which was years ago, mind you. And I had to manage on that. And as for him stopping the mortgage, it occurred to me I couldn't have afforded to pay it. So... I could stay there for a year until the bank would want the house back. So I could live there mortgage-free, and then they claim the house. So I had that to my name, and they gave me £10 a week. So I eked it out on um, bits of this and bits of that. So I did manage, I did manage. But um, as I say, I can't stress enough to all you lovely folks listening, husbands or wives, um, be sure that you're always, look, love, you've got to eat. You've got to have a bed and you've got to have your rent, and you never think that that person you're married to could ever do it, and I didn't know at the bank they had they could do it. So please, just check, my loves. If you're going to be unhappy, at least have a warm bed and some food to, be, to, to keep you going, because when you're struggling as well financially, blimey, you're in a bad enough state as it is. So learn that lesson, my loves. Okay, Kim Woodburn, your no laughing matter moment in life, the moment where there was no room for laughter. Oh, that's easy to remember. Um, it's something I try not to um, think about because uh, it just upsets me so much. So I try. I got a letter. My mother had seven children out of wedlock. Her, the chap she hadn't who died years ago. There were nine of us all together. And I didn't know, a few of them weren't born when I left home. So they don't know me from Adam. Anyway, I got a letter in 2000 
he rung my uncle Neville, my stepbrother. Um, who was it? Stepbrother? Who was it? Oh God! Oh Richard! And I'd only met him once. And he rang my uncle. I'm very close to my uncle. My uncle is my mother's youngest child in the family. I mean, he's 84 now, and I'm nearly 80, so we've, he was born late. And I've always kept in contact with him. He's a smasher. And apparently, Richard called him and said, can you tell me where our Pat lives? Because, um, you, you, know, you know, your sister's passed away, and I'd like to invite her to the funeral. Now, why would you? So Nev told him, and he sent a letter to me, our mother passed away April 2020, and uh, the funeral's leaving from where I live, Westfield Road in Portsmouth. Um, we'd like you to be there. So I looked at Pete and I said, I mean, I, I said, why? I hated her. I said, why? And then I looked at Pete and said, you know what, Pete? I'm going to do the decent thing, not for her. I don't care about her. But she had, she, she had carried me in a tummy and um, I've been lucky. I've got a good husband. Good, so I've got a good life now. So I've ended up good. So I thought I'll go for respect for myself, not for her. She's my, she was my mother and I'll put her in the grave that I have. I'd, mixed emotions. Oh God, I should never have done it. I should never have done it. So he said the service was leaving for Westfield Road at nine in the morning. A coffin would arrive there and they'd follow on. He said, I said, okay, so I use your own cars. Okay. So I get outside the house. I go in the house. We stayed in the hotel overnight, Pete and I. We go out, we knock the door and Rich, I didn't recognize anybody. And it was all my brothers and sisters who were tots. I don't know them. So not one of them spoke to me. Not one. I went in the house with Pete and we sat in this huge room. Well, that room in the little house in Westfield Road. And not one of them looked my way. And I thought, why would you, Richard, who opened the door, invite me knowing this was going to be the reception? And I'm not going to bother. They were letting me see clearly. They were looking at me like dirt. It wasn't a question of just looking away. It was... That sort of thing. I thought, oh, dear God, I don't need this. So, anyway, the funeral commences. Off we go, Pete and I in our car, down we go. So we go into this little chapel. Um, she was going to be buried. And I noticed there wasn't many people there. But one side, there was all their children and their husbands and wives. And my sister turned up with her daughter, Jane, and her two sons, Graham and, and Robert. And so automatically, I sat with them. I mean, the Mackenzie clan, if you like, and, and the McGinley clan. I mean, you know, I wasn't going to be welcome down there. And although my sister, but at least, you know. And it was quite a short service. And the priest came to, to speak. And he said a strange thing. He said, I thought, my God, this is a strange, strange funeral, this. He said, he said, um, Pat, which is my mother's name as well, wasn't always the most patient of people. And I thought, um, she did have her problems. And I thought, I've never heard a father talk like this before. But it's true, it's true, it's true. 
Mm. However, uh, and he went on on about it. Then he said, so her children, and he went from the youngest to the eldest. He said her children, Janet, Caroline, um, Penny and Rosemary, Neil and Richard, he said, uh, and Robert, he said, and Gloria. No. Oh. And I thought, what? Where am I? And um, they all looked back at me and they were mocking me. They had arranged to have the funeral and leave my name out so I'd be denounced at my mother's funeral. And I thought, you did mention me, surely you mentioned me. You must have mentioned me. And my husband leaned across and said, do you want me to say something? I said, no. No. I was rather tearful, I got to say, to denounce me, to denounce, they didn't even know me. Then darn me, well, the father said a few more things. He said, so once again, he said, her children went right through and left me out again. I sobbed. I, I did sob because um, it was shocking, you know. It was just shocking, you know. It, just, uh, it was the way it they looked, back, definitely the way they looked back at me. They'd invited me to that funeral because I'd left home. I was so sad I ran away to punish me for leaving my mother. And so they left me off the list. And to be denounced that you've never existed on the earth, um, it's the hardest thing that's ever happened to me, truthfully. It's the, it's the biggest insult you could offer anybody. But you know what? I'll tell you something. Within three years, 2003, I got a job on television. And I became famous, famous, famous. The show was sold in 30 countries. And I sat back and I said to my husband, they denounced me, I was never on the earth, but everybody knows me. She never got away with it, nor did they, I'm famous. And that's the only joy fame's given me, because fame doesn't matter, you know, you're just you. But everybody knows me, you can't, and I wrote a book. And I put that in the book. You all know me. She denounced me, but I was born and I'm famous. So gotcha. <laughs> and, and that's it. That's it, really. That's the saddest thing I think's ever happened to me. I don't think anything sadder could happen, really. Do you think, Kim, that a lot of people misunderstand you? Like, like when I suppose when a lot of people think of you and your TV appearances, they think of fiery, they think of yeah. well able to stand up for herself. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they probably think maybe a bit scary. And, and, and I think it probably takes getting to know you or even just hearing your, your story to kind of go, okay, hang on. She's had a lot in her life uh, that she's had to contend with. And, and maybe it's all added up to you being this person that you are and, and, the, and the personality that you're known to be. There are two sides to me, and I'm totally aware of that. I don't, I think that denouncing me at the funeral changed, it changed so much for me. Mm. The cruelty, the hurt, what I felt. And it, you know what people are capable of. And so I don't want to 
suffer fools. Yeah. I don't want to suffer bull, bull. I don't want people that I know are unkind. I won't let them be. I will, I will, I will out them. Life is very short. And be kind, be decent. Don't look for trouble. It's not that when I was in the Big Brother house, I didn't go in there to be anything but Kim Woodburn. <laughs> but I wasn't able to. And 90, I would say 98% of people have always said a good word about me after that Big Brother house. And I'd say, Kim, they asked for it. Um, I get, I don't think I've ever had a rotten message left on my website from anybody ever. I'm a big softy, but don't put, I've been put on an awful lot. And I'm generous to the point of stupidity. I've been made a fool of over money before I made money, when I didn't really have it. People have made a fool of me over money. I've lent and given. They've lied to me to get it, probably even on telly. And I was always a softy. I'm a softy now. But I won't tolerate people who I know are lying. I know you're lying. Stop it. I just don't start with me. Come up to me and be genuine. Don't come up to me and be a phony. I haven't one second in my life for a phony. I, I haven't any more time for it. I'm not going to sit like most people do. And somebody, somebody says something to you and they walk out of the room and say, I was dying to say something back. I said, well, you bloody well should have. Yeah. Don't let people do this to you, my love. Friendship is love. A nice atmosphere is lovely. I went in the Big Brother house. They picked on me and I thought, right, you're right. They, and it was said in all the papers. It was said on all the programmes. People walk up to me now, all ages, and say, where they rotten to you in that big brother house? They were gang handlers. Yes, they were. And that appalled me. The anger I felt that you can't come up to me and say, Kim, can I have a word, please? Kim, I didn't like what you said then. What did I say? Oh, I'm sorry. All right, no. But when you go and eight or nine people stand with you and they come to me, don't you dare, if you value your life, I'll have you. <laughs> I'll have you. Because the fact that you have cowardly, you nine pigs, have stood in a row, said, I'll back you, I'll back you. And as I said in the Big Brother house, if one of you were on your own, you wouldn't have the guts, you chicken-livered shits. And I meant it. It takes no courage it takes no courage to stand nine in a row. They're pigs, they're scum. Come to me on your own, I'd say, I, I wouldn't call you that at all. I'd say, at least she's coming to me on her own. We're 50-50. Don't you come to me and standing behind you, people go, oh, absolutely, absolutely, scum. No time for it. Have you spoken to any of them since? Well, I wouldn't lower myself. Don't talk to scum. Don't talk to scum. Okay, well, we'll talk about the person that you always laugh with, Kim Woodburn. My husband. Oh, go on, tell me. Oh, God, we've roared out. Don't we, Pete? We just lucked. Well, do you know what? See, Peter's been divorced as well. 
okay. we were both divorced. We got together and we've not had any children, but we've had, do you know what, we're awfully lucky because, gosh, we do get on well. We do. And so I, I know I've been lucky. You so see, when you say to me, I do know the misfortune, but I also counter it with lucky, uh, good husband, smashing husband, um, you know, and when people say, oh, when you're well known, does it get on your nerves? No, it bloody well does not get on my nerves. Do you know when you hear these people saying, do you know, I can't bear these fans coming up to me, then give all the money back. <laughs> give all the money back and shut your mouth or get on with it. Because I'm right. telling you something, when you go out and I, I mean, people have said to me on television, oh, it's such a relief to wear a mask. Nobody recognises me. Everybody recognises me. <laughs> I think it's my hair, I think, and the whole demeanour. I have my mask on. Hello, Kim, how are you doing? So, but it's lovely. All right. Sometimes you can go out and you're in a hurry. Yeah. People are, are always going to have, but you know, I always stop. Um, because I'm lucky, aren't I? Don't you think I'm lucky? I mean, um, little kids walk up to me and they say, my, my son was used to what. Boy of 18, I used to watch your program as a little boy. Oh, Kim, I roared. I go to the supermarket, everybody stops me. And, and, and people tend to think, um, well, people always say to me, some well-known people, you stop and they're rude. Just, well, they, well, they want to give all the money back and, and go in the dough. Because I'm very lucky, my love. So I'm very approachable. Um, although, do you know, it does make me laugh. Though, God. I never say a word, oh God. But it does make you laugh. You know, when you're in a restaurant, and you've just got the fork and you've got, oh, you think, oh, I'm torn hungry, you know. And so it's, can I, can I have a photo take with you? <laughs> and you go, and you put, and I say, yeah, come on then. And I think, why else when I put food in my mouth? But they don't mean it, lovely. No. I'm ever so grateful. I'm ever so grateful. And your fans are lovely. I go out and clean my road sign, you know, because the, the council never clean the road sign. Disgusting. So I take a bowl of water out. I'm on the corner of the main road, you say. And I clean it, and there's lorries are shouting, Do you want to clean my lorry? Oh, shut your gob. You know? <laughs> and they all, they all they do, honestly. Kim, you come and clean my house. I said, Get out. You know, oh but I, I have the greatest fun being famous. So when people say they make me sick, these fans, oh, get away. <laughs> I, I can't deal with these silly buggers. Tell me this what is the key? If Peter is the person you always laugh with, what is the key to a long lasting relationship? I think you've got to, you know, to a degree, you both at times got on each other's nerves. Now let's let's not. I mean, I accept a lot that Pete does. I think, what's he doing that for? And I, he accepts a lot that I do. But there's the odd occasion I say, "Wait, what are you doing? That's a waste of time." I say, "Oh, well, God." But you do basically. He's writing. What are you writing, Jeff? Well, that's a rude word, you naughty man. What did he write down? Oh, I think he wants to make love to. <laughs> No, oh, Can you just wait till after the podcast? Well, he's a randy beggar, you know, dear. I mean, he's my toy boy. He's 76, dear. Oh, God, dear, do you know? Yes. I mean, he's a randy old bugger, he is, really. He don't bend over the cooker, love. I'm going to have to have him fit into the top wall, so I don't have to bend over the way he's so naughty. Stop it! Oh, oh he's okay. Okay, so that's the key to a long, long-lasting relationship. Okay, Kim, what about a time where you had the last laugh? Oh, I gotta tell you, Pete and I decided in 1984 he gave up the police force, and I was a social worker because I've had several jobs, you know. And um, we'd go to America because we had no children, 
and we go to America, live in uh, housekeepers, because I'm a very good cleaner. So pack everything up, sell our house, off we go to America. So anyway, we ended up working. There was a company, I'm going to say the company, because I'm telling the truth, you see, so I have no, I've no, I don't have to say, I won't say. There was a company called CAA in Hollywood. They were something artists association, weren't they? That was owned, a book was written about this chap. It was owned by a Michael Ovitz. Now you might've heard of him because he was all over the papers because stars were suing him. He was such a wicked beggar. So we went down to the CAA, this huge Hollywood uh, film agency, and we went to work in Michael Ovitz's house. God, we were fools. He slaved us. I mean, he really did. We were illegal. Oh, it's called Creatives, Creative Artists Agency. Right. I think it's still going, but I don't think he owns it anymore. And we were living in his house. And you see, we weren't green carded. So when you go, you he was going to sponsor us. Yeah. The trouble with that is that's lovely, but it takes years. And if they're horrible em employers, they will put on you. They know you can't, you can't say the word no because they've only got to ring up immigration and you're taken back home. Yeah. So they've got you. Eventually, I got it. we got a green card, but not from him. So we lived there for a few, only a few weeks. God, we were working around the clock. And it was, we were just worn out. So I said to Pete, Pete, we can't go and say, can we leave? Because he, he'll pick up the phone and say immigration and we'll be shipped back. So we said, we'll have to escape. But it was escape. It was so awful. So we did. They were all out. We escaped. We went and uh, we got this. We're in this hotel in Santa Monica. We didn't know what to do, whether to go home or continue getting jobs. We did continue. We stayed there 11 years in the end. So the phone went in this hotel. And I remember there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hotels in kind of, I mean, come on now. How many had rung or his secretary? I do not know. And the phone went and, um, oh, the second day. So they must have had some money. So the phone went and we took it and it said, um, oh, Kim and Peter, I'll give you um, one hour to get back to my house or I'll phone the immigration. Stop. Oh, yeah. And how many hotels did his secretary call? What the hell? Yeah. So we thought, oh, my God, we've got to get out. We've got to get out. We've got to get out. So we knew a chap called George who was living in a, a Scotsman. He had his green card in, uh, where was the area where Clint Eastwood was the uh, mayor? Where was that at the time? Oh, Carmel. Clint Eastwood was the mayor. So George said, well, my people are away. They're away for months. Get that car and you come to us. You can stay with me and never find you here until you get other work. Through the night we went, I hid in the, the, front, we, the front of the car. We were frightened he was following us, but it was a terrible time. So we got to George's, begging me. The following day, the phone goes, and I see, uh, in America, they, in those days, every call you made was listed. If I made a call to you, it would be that I'd called you. Okay. Whereas it, we didn't have that here in those days. Yes. So he'd gone through the phone bill in his house and he looked at all the calls we'd made. 
And so phone again, George picked it up. Have you got two friends staying with you? Pardon? He said, um, no, no, I haven't as a matter of fact. He said, um, Kevin Peter Woodbury said, no, as I say, I haven't. Who is this please? And he put the phone down. So he chased us all, for the sheer hell of it, he was having fun with us. Oh, the man was a wealthy God. man having fun. Simple as that. Anyway, he rang. Oh, he said if we didn't come back when he spoke to us in the hotel, he would ring the police and he would tell the police that we'd stolen something out of his house so it would automatically be shipped straight home. So we had, he said, yes, but I'll tell them that. Oh, it was just um, so what did you terrible. Do? So this is what we did. We knew a lady called Jo Leslie, and she was a very, very wealthy woman who wanted us to work with her, but we chose not to, and we went for Michael instead, foolishly. So we were in contact with Jo and told her what had happened, but little did we know that, you know, anyway, he traced, I don't know how he did it, whether he rang the domestic agency, he seemed to have everything he wanted. Jo was doing us the dirty, we didn't know it. No, we didn't know it. What? He rang Joe and he said, um, Kevin Peter Bunch. Oh, yes, she said that yes, they are they are with their friend in Carmel. But we didn't know she was doing it. We didn't know that she was giving because he had her phone number what we'd rung. And so we tricked her. We said, We've got to find out if it's her. So we weren't gonna come back home. We said we'll hide out and get a job living in, which we did in the end. So we said, let's establish if it is Joe. He's finding out far too much. So Peter rang Joe and he said, um, Joe, we're going back to England. He said, it's no good here. He said, I can get my job back as a bobby. He said, he said, Andy, he said, we cut the pressure's terrible. He said, we're going back. Said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. She said, darn me, she will keep in touch. Pete's mother, who was a pensioner and his father still alive, said she'd had a phone call from Michael Ovitz in England. What? And they said, um, will you welcome Kim and Pete home, please? Perhaps I'll see them one day. And that is, and it was, we knew it was Joe because yeah. we weren't going home. So the moral of the story is then you see, <laughs> oh, then you see, suddenly within a few years of that, well, oh, 20 years actually, I became known on television and I went into Hollywood to film because when we did How Clean Your House, it was so popular. Yeah. That, uh, it went to Hollywood and there we were sitting in the Hollywood Hills and restaurants with all the big producers. And I thought, God, it's a far cry from when I was here before. <laughs> I knew that Michael Ovitz must have seen the show and would, I mean, I think you back, I don't think I've changed that much. It got older, but I think I'm basically, you look at pictures of me, you recognize me, you know. Yeah. And I thought, you bastard, I thought. I thought, my God, I thought, and now I'm famous, you little pill. <laughs> and so, but then now he's, I know he doesn't own it anymore, but there you go. And he can't touch me because I'm a British person. I'm coming over to film. So, you know what? Um, you know, when you think of it. Um, last laugh. It, it, it's last laugh, you know. He must see me on that screen and think, oh, God. And yeah, I just go. Thing, I'm sorry, my you can't see it, but I, I'm pressing two fingers, <laughs> fingers up in the air, dear, and I'm leaving them there, 
Now, if you'll tell me I'm a wicked woman for doing it, but this man just, he played with us. Yeah. It, it could have made a wonderful Hollywood film, playing with a couple, not because he needed to, he liked it. For he sport. And uh, in the end, I became famous. I'm known all over America. And then I went out to Canada to shoot a series called Kim's Rude Awakening. And then Oprah Winfrey sent Fraggy and I. She flew us over to Chicago. We went on Oprah's show. She said she loved the show. So then I thought, and I couldn't help but think, I wonder if Michael's watching this. The last laugh. But do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's things have happened in my life. And in its own very sad way, I've been darn lucky. Do you know what I mean? I mean, some people never get satisfaction, do they? I know. I know they're so constantly see, they're constantly chasing contentment or, you know, oh, a yeah. high or... You can't touch me. I've got a few bob and I'm famous. So, you know, <laughs> and it, it's, I'm not saying it in a... I'm saying it because it's true. Yeah. You, you've got to leave me alone. You've got to leave me in peace. I rather like that. Okay. Kim Woodburn, if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be? <laughs> I don't know. Um... Oh, God, love it. I don't know. Well, you were talking about something with Pete there a few minutes ago and 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 uh, and what you guys might get up to after the podcast. Would it, would well, it be- my husband's very passionate, you see. He's a sort of man. He's over sex, actually. He what? Over sex. <laughs> no, you look at him, you think he's harmless. Oh, he's not, dear. No, he's a beast. <laughs> a beast? <laughs> uh, he's, do you know what he said to me? He's getting a mirror put in it for over our bed. He wants I'll to watch himself it. now. He wants to watch himself now at 76. Oh, my God. Oh, he's, oh, he's insatiable, dear. Insatiable. <laughs> okay, we'll move swiftly oh, on. If you believe that, you're the dope. Go on. <laughs> okay, go are on. you ready for your quick fire round? Oh, yeah, go on, my love. Okay, the actor you always laugh at. Well, I laugh at several. I used to watch Frankie Howard in Up Pompeii. You know, and, oh, I used to love him. I mean, Frankie Howard, you know, oh, Mrs. Mrs. I used to love it. And I used to love Les Dawson in his acting job, Sissy and Ada. And the way he used to push his bosoms up in the air. And all this business. <laughs> and when he said, uh, what did he say to me? He said something about, have you been to what? What did he say? Have you, have you had the what? Oh, he said, and Sissy said, he said, have you had the, um, uh, he went abroad. And uh, he said to, he said to, have you had the shish kebabs? He said, I was never off the toilet. You know, <laughs> did, you, did you ever see them? Did, did you ever see them? Weren't they wonderful? You know, our sissy and Adrian, hand onto the bosoms, woof in the air. Oh, I just loved it. Oh, okay. God, can I just say this, please? Yes. Mrs. Slocum, in Are You Being Served? Is, it your you actor, is, this, is this the actress you always love it? Oh, yes. Mrs. Slocum. Um, oh God, she was funny. Molly Sutton. So it's hard to say one because I don't think I've lived a long time and they've all offered me a lot of laughed at. So I've given four, my dear. Okay. Oh, Indulge me, old beggar, dear. <laughs> okay, the movie that you always laugh at, Kim. Oh, this is The Quiet Man. Oh, John Wayne, Maureen O'Hara. Do you know what? It, it was nuts. Um... John Wayne Moynihara and, you know, the marriage arranger. Do you remember the marriage arranger who was yeah. always tipsy, Barry Fitzgerald at Lowell Man, and he sat on this horse and cart, you know, and it was a lovely, lovely, tiny little man with a lovely face. And um, when Moynihara said to her family that she was dishing all the food out, you know, she's 
hot-tempered woman. And um, she said to Barry Fitzgerald, she said, if you pass the pub as quickly as you pass the church, you'd be a better man for it. You know, and she was always, and I, she was so lovely. And you knew. That's a brilliant accent. And you knew that in all her fieriness, she was a kind lady. You knew. And she was, you know, uh, it was so, when she said to him, though, you know, um, and Victor McLaughlin, the big man, and, and he was, um, I got your name in my black book and I'm going to be using it. And, you know, I thought it was, I just thought it was, uh, hey, put him in your black book. Put him now in my black book. I thought it was incredible. I just, it was a story. It was wonderful countryside. It was just comedy, bit of sadness. Um, it offered you everything. You laughed, you cried, but you mainly laughed. I like that. Love it. The, the comedian you always laugh at, Kim. I can't name one. I, I laughed at several. It's not possible to name one. Frankie Howard, of course, here I go again. It was the way he was all oh, misses. Mrs. Les Dawson. Oh, God, that piano playing. I mean, that took a very good pianist to do that. You know, they reckon if you can play wrong notes, you're a very good pianist. Yeah. <laughs> and then Larry Grayson. Shut that door. And the way Larry Grayson used to look at the audience, he'd just go. <laughs> and they'd roar. They'd roar. And he hadn't done anything. And also, when Billy Connolly's on a roll and he's on the stage, God. Gold. Did you ever see him do that one where he did uh, Can't We Change the National Anthem? Oh, he yes. Said, he said, da, 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 da. And what's that one I say? Uh, what was the one he was singing instead? The artist. He said, that anthem. But he was, he's right, actually. Um, I must say this to you. I don't know whether you thought that, but I do find the anthem a bit sad, you know. <laughs> da, da, da. Duh. And finally, Kim Woodburn, your best or worst joke? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Yes, well, I'm, I'm sorry I'm blowing my nose. You can hear me, but my nose is running, dear. That's all I right. Go, That's all I right. Gorgeous. Do what you have to do. <laughs> now, well, do you know what I did? I went out about a month ago, you know, and I bought a toilet brush. Lovely. As I say, I've been using it for a month, but enough's enough, dear. I've had to go back to toilet paper. Love, I could hardly walk. <laughs> that is the most perfect joke for you, Kim Woodburn. I have to say, I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you this afternoon, Kim. It has been so lovely. There have been ups and downs and you have had a life of laughter, some sadness and a mix of, of everything in the middle. And I'm so grateful to you for sharing all of it with me. Oh, so gosh, I love it. I don't say that because um, it's a privilege and I think... When someone says like you, can you come and tell us about yourself? It's a great privilege that you asked me because I'm an old fogey and I think there's so many more interesting people than me. And um, when I heard, I was utterly privileged to be on. Thanks for asking me. And if you need anything else, and uh, don't forget, dear, do use toilet paper too. The brush. <laughs> I was walking like John Wayne for a week. Don't want you to do it too. But yeah, I want to thank you truly from my heart because um, just, I mean, you know, I'm just touched that you want to hear about me and thank you so much and folks please i'm not an old rat bag i just can't tolerate rotten people i've had 80 years of them give me a break ah kim you do your thing and you be authentically you and feck the begrudgers and you are such a pretty girl <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Laughs of Your Life podcast with Kim Woodburn. I really hope you enjoyed it. And I'm so happy to be back with this brand new season of the podcast, season six. Where has the time gone? If you're a brand new listener or you've been here from the get-go, I would love to hear from you. Drop me a tweet at Darren Garrahy or tag me in an Instagram story if you're listening to an episode, any episode, this season, past seasons, whatever it might be. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate and review as well. It would mean so much to me. This season of the Laughs of Your Life podcast is brought to you by TK Maxx. With quality to make you gasp and prices to make you grin, find your big win in store now. This podcast is recorded with Collaborative Studios and guest booker is Olive Esther. Oh,